morning. Hey, before I get started on the message, um, you know, I really treasure my Sundays, and uh, it's a day that I like to rest and that sort of thing, but every once in a while, there's, there's an ox in the ditch, and uh, there's one of those over at the Topeka Rescue Mission. Uh, Christy's been over a couple of times. They have this wonderful children's palace they're trying to get ready, and they've got these playgrounds outside, and they only have the guy who knows everything about what to do. This is his last day. And there's, we were there last night until they closed down, and uh, uh, good opportunity. They need some help. They had a service about an hour and a half ago, and, and they may be working right now on trying to get everything done before this guy has to leave. So uh, if you've got an opportunity, you can get over there to help them. You can be skilled or unskilled. I'll warn you. When I walked up, they said, can you cut a straight line with a circular saw? And I said, well, yeah, I think so. And I became a skilled worker. Uh, but so if you're not comfortable doing that sort of thing, then, then say, no, I'm unskilled. That's okay. You know, and you could just help out somebody who is. So, so uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. It's a wonderful project. And Barry Feeker can tell you a wonderful story about how God provided that whole thing. Well, On to the message. Uh, When we started our study of Matthew 6 several months ago, I warned everybody that in Matthew 5, you probably got lots of convictions about what Jesus said about the scribes and Pharisees and their hypocrisy and how that might apply to us. But Matthew 6 is even more convicting because Jesus turns his gaze on us as believers and our own weaknesses, our own blind spots, our own hypocrisies. And I got to say that today, today may be one of those messages, okay, given the subject matter. Uh, let's, uh, I think this is on your, your handout, so if you'd read with me here, uh, we'll just go through kind of a longer passage. It says there, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Some versions say mammon. Okay. You know, last time I spoke on, uh, started this passage here, it's been about seven weeks ago, uh, uh, we, uh, we talked about a discussion of choosing between the two treasures. Uh, And because it's been a while, I want to loop back a little bit here and take the larger context of this whole passage. We talked then about the durability of treasures on earth, temporal, versus treasures in heaven, eternal. And while we all love our lives, our families, and the blessings that God gives us, we should not and cannot put our ultimate security in those things and even in those people. Um, Rather, we are to use those things with which God blesses us and those relationships 
in order to lay up treasures in heaven. So, Jesus gives us a very simple commandment. Do not lay up treasures on earth. Lay them up in heaven. Um, He then goes on and gives us logical reasons for taking this approach both to this life and the next. Now, question. As Christians, aren't we just supposed to obey? Does he have to give us reasons to obey? I believe he does because he loves us and he wants us to understand. But in this case, because of the serious nature of what he's talking about. One of the most basic issues of life. In fact, one could honestly say this is as serious as a heart attack. So let's first remember, to whom is Jesus speaking? The subject is worldliness or worldly mindedness. But Jesus isn't speaking to the world. Yes, he loves the world and and, uh, wants God's best for them. But Just like we said last time, how laying up treasures in heaven has nothing to do with the unsaved earning salvation. Jesus is talking here about believers and specifically addresses the worldliness of Christians. Now, worldliness is very subtle. In fact, we're all guilty of it. You know, we all refer to worldliness when we see something here or something there. And it's almost always something of which we are not guilty, right? Uh, It's also pervasive. Jesus doesn't say it's doing this thing or not doing that thing. It's an attitude or an outlook on life that can even creep into that which is holy. So let's... Take a look as an example of something that affects Christians, maybe of a current nature. How about the upcoming elections? You knew we'd get that in there, didn't you? You know, we at Lion and Lamb, like Mike has just said, we've talked a lot about how the Word of God applies to everything. Some churches don't believe this, but it does apply to everything, even government and politics and even elections. And so we provided all this information so that you can know what's going on, what the issues are, what people stand for, so that you can vote with conviction. And in some cases, you know, the choice is clear. In other cases, because of Different issues, it may be not so clear or more difficult. But you know, we all have an obligation. You know, our government, our country is way off of biblical standards, but we've got an obligation to get it as close as possible to biblical standards. Uh, And these things have consequences. Uh, It's a privilege, voting is a privilege that many in the world do not have. However, let's be really honest about this whole thing. When we listen to all the speeches with a biblical ear, you know, what we're listening to, it's all about earthly treasures. Now, these are not unimportant issues. And they affect us and our culture. Particularly, 
if for no other reason, if you're an unborn child, this affects you tremendously. Because the future of unborn children literally hangs in the balance with this election. These earthly issues are so important that sticking one's head in the sand is not a biblical option. However, let me suggest one thing about our attitudes. Ask yourself a question. Honestly, when I hear these things, all this stuff swirling around, how do I respond from what's going on? Does it bring out passion? Do I get upset? Anger? Maybe even bitterness? Am I obsessed with what somebody said or did or hid? If so, you and I are probably being aroused by treasures on earth. I admit, I'm guilty of that. Uh, had feelings, strong feelings about this election, given some of the candidates and the things that have taken place. But we've got to remember the bigger picture here. Our attitude needs to be that we are pilgrims walking through this world. We do have an obligation to be informed and concerned about these things while we're here. But we've got to have a healthy dose of detachment and objectivity. We must remember that God is sovereign. And that when we awake on November the 9th, the sun will come up, the dust will settle, and we'll continue our journey with our eyes on him, no matter what happened the night before. So, what are some of the reasons or arguments that Jesus gives us for laying up treasures in heaven and not on earth? And the first one is simple common sense. There's a little bit of review here, but we remember that Earthly stuff is only temporal. All things here become corrupted, eaten up, rusted out, worn out. And this includes people. Ex exhibit A, okay? It all happens to us, all right? Uh, if it does not wear out while in our possession, it will be stolen by thieves. Some criminal, some legal. Maybe think taxes, okay? All right? Uh, if it's not a human thief... It may be stolen by illness, business failure, natural disaster, market collapse, war, or even death. On the other hand, everything in heaven, it lasts forever. You know, I'm reminded of a story that I heard, I think, on the radio one time about some Christian architects who were having dinner with their young wives, and they were talking about the worth of their work. And one of them finally said, you know, it occurred to me, that everything we design as architects will one day end up in the landfill. But everything our wives do, training their children, caring for them, has eternal consequences. That's just to give you a perspective. You know, have you ever been excited about receiving or buying something new, at least new to you, like that new used car, okay? 
We all do. I mean, there's an excitement there, but how long does that feeling really last? You know, reality is that uh, we often get used to things and uh, even tired of that old clunker after a while. Um, You know, the whole fashion industry is based upon this concept of a constant cycle of coveting that which is new and different. You know, I'm hanging on to my wingtips because I know they're coming back in style some decade. All right? Uh, We always want to seek out things that are new and different. But these things will never satisfy us. In fact, there's even a certainty impact a certain impurity about them. In 2 Peter 1, Peter says that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. A lot of things in the world, probably most of them, are are great. They're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. But they become impure because of our own selfish desires. Instead, if we lay up our treasures in heaven, Peter tells us uh, in 1 Peter 1, that the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. These treasures in heaven are imperishable. Thieves can't steal them because God Himself is the guard of everything awaiting us there. And whatever loss we incur, whatever trials we suffer on earth, Paul tells us that we should not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, the temporal things, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And of course, most of you remember that Paul reminds us as Christians, neither death nor life, angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Even better, there is no impurity, no corruption, no sin, no decay, no pollution, no death in eternity. So this whole argument is an appeal to plain and simple common sense. It's not rocket surgery. To verify this is true, Pick up the morning newspaper, if there is such a thing, or read it on the the screen and and see all the animosity, the suffering, the pain, the violence, the corruption, the thievery, the loss in the headlines. And then, of course, there's the obituaries. Question, is this world really the bank you trust to protect your treasures? Now, 
I don't want to be seen as discouraging anybody here. Everybody should be encouraged to enjoy a fulfilling and, and, and joyful, productive life, including your blessings, whatever God gives. But we should be encouraged, all of us, to not live our lives seeking those things and the praise of this world. Rather, to recognize that God has a purpose for you and for me. And we lay up treasures in heaven when we humbly and generously fulfill his purposes rather than our own selfish desires. Second reason that Jesus gives us is that there are spiritual dangers of treasures on earth. First, it's the heart grip of earthly treasures. Notice Jesus' words here. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The heart is our innermost core, our utmost desire, our motivation. And he's telling us that worldliness tends to affect not part of us, but our entire personality, our whole person, our feelings, our affections, our sensibilities. John tells us in uh, John 3, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You know, we pretend that we just like these earthly treasures. They're just a casual friend. But think about this. When you compare the relationship that the church has with Christ, it's just like the marriage between a man and a woman. We're one. And that we're one in him in the spirit. And then you consider the pull, the attraction that the world has on us. Isn't this more akin to an adulterous affair. We really love those things. We don't just like them. Then he says, no man can serve two masters. That word serve connotes this tremendous control these treasures have over us. We are all subject to this. Sometimes it's overt, sometimes it's implicit, but it's a very, very subtle grip. But it's even more subtle than that. It grips not only the heart, but the mind as well. It says, starting in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So he's illustrating here the way that we look at things. There's two ways that he says we can look at things. One is to see it with a healthy single, or the Greek word there is haplos eye, which means clear. This is the eye of the Christian who sees the world as it really is without a double vision. The other is with a bad or an evil eye. This view sees the world with blurred, unclear, perhaps double vision. It's clouded by prejudices, lusts, and desires. Not only does this worldliness get to the heart, but to the mind as well to affect our judgments and our decisions. You know, when we have uh, arguments or disagreements with one another, it's usually controlled by prejudice rather than logical reason. Just listen to, again, the election uh, milieu, uh, the politicians on both sides. In a soundbite world, it's the catchy phrase or the memorable word denigrating the opponent that makes the newscast. Because we don't have time for reason. But it's not just those politicians. You know, we can suffer from blurred vision due to the disease of worldliness in our moral judgments. You know, we can see clearly 
That's somebody who burglarizes a home or somebody who skims corporate profits is stealing. But you know, when we do our income tax return, you know, to fudge a little is okay. Worldliness or love of earthly treasures affects our whole ethical view of life. Our spiritual outlook is affected by blurred vision as well. Paul explained this. Happens even in the ministry. He said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. And Jesus warns in Luke 21, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness for the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. I think that's all of us. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of God, the Son of Man. It's not only evil that dulls our vision and our thinking, it is the cares of this life. The attitude that we deserve it all. Now, let me ask a question here. Have anybody... Has anybody here found in your studies of the Word, as you've gone through, the concept that our purpose in life is retirement? Uh, now, qualifiers here. Okay, Having fun, going on vacations, saving for the future, all are okay and good things to do. And we recognize that getting too old or being unable to work will happen. All right, those are realities. But when in life are we to stop being productive? At what age do you find in the IRS code that we're to stop serving God and laying up treasures on earth? Now let me be clear here about this passage that we're talking about. Verses 22 and 23 that you read on your your sheet there uh, about the, the eye and the light and darkness have nothing to do with the spiritual condition of a visually impaired person as opposed to a sighted person. It's a metaphor. Most of what, for most of us, what our body depends upon is the ability to see. And blind people can make amazing adjustments to compensate for their lack of sight with their other senses. Most of us, though, we need to see in order to do things like to drive a car, or read, or cook, or sew, or cross a road. The principle is that a person who has light is able to function, while a person who's in the dark has much more difficulty. And we depend so much on this small but intricate organ we call an eye. In God's Word, this metaphor crosses between the eye and the heart. And the two seem to be equivalent. In, uh, in Psalm 119, uh, verse 10, we read, With my whole heart I will seek you. Let me not wander from, my, from your commandments. And then in verse 18, it goes to open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And in the passage we're reading about here, Jesus passes from the importance of having your heart in, in the right place, in verse 21, immediately to the importance of, of sound, healthy, clear, or a single eye. So the argument goes something like this. Our eye affects our whole body. Likewise, where we fix our eye, our ambition, or our will affects the whole body. And like a seeing eye provides light and guidance to the body, so a single-minded and selfless will or ambition to serve God and provide light 
to others. And just like an eye that is clouded, dull, or blind keeps us from seeing clearly and prevents us from certain actions, so a selfish will, laying up treasures on earth, causes a person to walk into moral darkness, intolerance, pride, and sin. It's all about the heart, the eye and the heart. But if we have clear spiritual vision, we have purpose, drive, love, and generosity. But if that spiritual vision becomes clouded by our idolatry or our materialism, we lose our orientation of truth, our values, then life is dark. We cannot see where we're going. This leads to a self-centered existence which only seeks its own selfish desires. In summary, earthly treasures will grip one's heart mind, and will. They affect the spirit, the soul, the whole being in a spiritually dangerous way. Now, the last argument that Jesus uses is, relates to two masters. And this step of understanding what Jesus is teaching here is the most serious of all. The way we look at treasures ultimately determines our relationship with our Father. Worldly treasures demand our whole being and our devotion. They call us to live for them and them alone. But so does God. Remember, repeated throughout Scripture, you shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's everything. In the last message on treasure, we considered several hard sayings that came out of the mouth of Jesus. He said, go and sell all you have and come follow me. And he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And just to make it clear here, he says, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. So compromise, standing in the middle, not an option. In fact, it's impossible. You and I cannot serve God and mammon. Understand this concept, it might be helpful to pay attention again to the words of Jesus. He says no man can serve two masters. You know, you can serve two employers, and many of you have or are right now. Okay, that's possible. And you can do so well. But you cannot serve two masters. To put it in more clear terms, you can say two slave owners. You see, sole ownership and full-time service is the essence of the master-slave relationship. Okay, question. You know, don't can't, don't we all make money and, and buy stuff and it's good? And don't we spend time with our family and friends who will eventually die, but we call it a good thing? Well, of course we do. There's nothing wrong with that. But how do we make sense out of this? I will try. Okay. Uh, in the apologetics class that we do with the high schoolers, we talk about atheistic materialism you know, the worldview that there is no God and everything is matter and energy. And we take some comfort and maybe even pride in knowing that that cannot possibly be true. 
But we need to remember that all materialism is atheistic. If a materialistic view of life controls us, that is our master. And we're really without God. But worse than an atheistic materialist is the person who thinks he's godly because he talks about God, he says he believes in God, he goes to church, but he's really just living his life in pursuit of those material things. Jesus asked, how great is his darkness? Can you imagine anything more insulting than to claim the name of Christ, to call ourselves Christians, than to show the world that what we're really after is to serve mammon in one form or another? There's a story uh, claimed to be true, but regardless, instructive. It's all about how a farmer burst into the kitchen and exclaims to his wife, Praise God, twin calves were born. One red, one white. And she goes, wonderful, praise the Lord. He goes, yes, I think we need to dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. She said, yes, yes, how do we do that? Well, we'll, we'll raise them up together and then we'll, we'll sell them and we'll give the proceeds from one of those sales to God's work. She says, wonderful. And then a few days later, he walks in, his head down, dejected, and he said, oh my, the Lord's calf died. She said, well, well, you told me that you hadn't decided. He says, no, 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 I, I decided just a, just a little while ago that the, the Lord got the white calf, and unfortunately, the white died. Now, that's funny, yeah, but doesn't it describe a little bit of us. You know, when the budget gets tight, what's oftentimes the first thing to be cut? Might it be giving to the Lord's work? Uh, Are there other things that are farther down the cut list that we just cannot do without? The problem is, what Jesus says is that we cannot serve God and mammon. You know, it's not what we say that matters. It's not even what we do outwardly that matters. Uh, Lord willing, sometime in the future in Matthew 7, we will study a a passage where Jesus refers to folks who will say on the last day, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and in your name done many wonderful works? And Jesus' response, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness, which last week Mike told us is sin. This perhaps is the scariest passage in the Bible. You might ask, well, isn't he talking about unbelievers? Yeah, it sounds like he's talking to folks who say or pretend to be believers, but they will not enter his kingdom pretty clearly. Maybe we could call them make-believers. But regardless, the point to believers is this. The fact that we have accepted Christ as our Savior, that we show up at church, we, we serve a little, we give a little, we even say, Lord, Lord, does not equate to the kind of devotion called for 
by Jesus. Those things do not prove we have recognized his total demand on our lives and have gladly and readily yielded to him. Well, just think about that. A little bit of a bunny trail here. You know, uh, since we started these uh, interviews, you know, I just, it's amazing how much I've learned about people that I didn't know before. And, and having the, the confidence that these people know Christ, I'm just amazed that we've never done this before. It is such a blessing. Now, back to the message. It all gets down to our attitude. Do we live our lives for, are we focused on, is our priority on the stuff and relationship of this world? Or is it really our relationship with our Heavenly Father? When we consider our choice, creator or creature, the loving Father or that leaf in the wind that we call money or mammon, you know, it seems impossible that anybody could choose wrongly. And so this takes us beyond the question of comparative durability, whether it lasts or not. What we're really talking about here is comparative worth, the intrinsic infinite worth of God versus the intrinsic worthlessness of the things of this world. You and I cannot choose both. So the question on your sheet is, which do you choose? Which do I choose? That's what makes this passage so very, very convicting. Father in heaven, you are a loving and yet a just God. Lord, help us to see to pull out and see for what it is our attraction to the world and earthly things and even our relationships here which, on which we may depend too much. Lord, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the, the relationship that we have with our family, with friends, with our church body. These are all good things, Lord. But help us to always to understand they are secondary to our relationship with you. Help us to truly understand how we can lay up treasures in heaven and forsake striving and working and doing everything just to get more stuff on earth. Thank you, Father, for the love that you've given us. Thank you for the sacrifice of your Son that paid the price for each one of us so that we might spend eternity with you if we only recognize it. In Jesus' name, amen.